That is always such a highlight every year, that summer arts camp. Grateful for you, uh, parents and, and grandparents and such, and friends that helped uh, get the kids here for the camp, and um, for those that prayed around that too, which is so absolutely important. I think about uh, just the, you know, the tangible way. I, I, you know, I certainly wasn't like artistic growing up, but I, in art class, just a few things that I did growing up, I have such a clear memory of those things. So just to connect that to your faith is beautiful. So grateful for that, for the kids, um, and for all of us to learn through that as well. So scripture is full of that, right? The scripture is full of symbolism and things that uh, God kind of utilized. I mean, that's really what parables were about when Jesus would describe something uh, is kind of create a picture in our minds every time we read the scripture. So anyway, with that, why don't we uh, stand? I want to read. We're going to move forward in our Vibrant series. And we're, we're, uh, one thing we haven't mentioned is our Vibrant series, we're going to be spending uh, a lot of time in the book of Acts during the summer. Um, And this is one of those monumental moments in scripture uh, in the book of Acts. Acts is really the uh, kind of the unveiling of the church, the early church, and a lot that went on. And as Claire mentioned, Stephen uh, in this story uh, is the first martyr that we find in Scripture, in church history as far as we know. Um, And it clearly talks about it here uh, in Acts 6 and 7. So it's it's a lot, so we're not going to read all of those verses, but I'm going to do my best to try to help us through. But I want to talk to you about vibrant serving. Because the reality of Stephen's life, as we'll see here in Acts 6, is it's really connected to service. And we serve with our life. Stephen ultimately gives his life. But the truth about all of us is we're called to service, to serve. We serve the world with our life. That's what we're invited to. And we do that day, one day at a time. So I want you just to pay attention as we talk uh, with that thought, that consideration of how is my life being utilized? How am I investing my life to serve the world that God created to build God's kingdom? Anyway, now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the 12 called together the whole community of disciples and said, it is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. So just want something I want you to pay attention to. It's all about, the, the disciples here are saying, the apostles are saying, this is all about multiplying service. So we're inviting more service to increase our service, to just be effective. So it's all surrounding service, okay? Uh, What they said pleased the whole community. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Perminus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, they had these men stand before the apostles who prayed, laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem. So at this point, the church is just in Jerusalem, essentially. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
And Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others, those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they, they secretly instigated some men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words, pay attention to this, against Moses and God. All right? They stirred up the people as well as the elders and scribes. Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never stops saying things against this holy place and the law. So you've got God, Moses, the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So, Father, we pray that as we just kind of unpack this scripture, that you would help us, give us the grace to have the ears and the hearts uh, and the minds to receive what you have for each one of us today. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Um, it's interesting, you, you start to see the parallels immediately uh, as you're paying attention. You start to see the parallels of Stephen's life with Jesus' life. Stephen is clearly a disciple of Christ. And the accusations against Stephen are similar to the accusations that caused Jesus to end up ultimately giving his life. It's the same accusations, essentially, that ultimately Jesus went to the cross over. Now, um, in what, what we see here is what's called the beginning of the diaconate, all right? These seven people that are set up as leaders, servant leaders, simply to multiply effectiveness. So critical kind of leaders put in place to multiply the service because the church is starting to grow. At this point, it's just in Jerusalem. It will change the moment Stephen dies, which we'll get to in a few minutes. When Stephen dies, the church begins to multiply and begins to spread. It's persecution, actually, that causes the church to begin to grow and accelerate in a whole different way. So the story of Stephen's life clearly communicates who Stephen wanted to be. We don't have a lot on Stephen, but we have a lot more on Stephen than we have on a lot of other people. But what's clear right away is who Stephen really was, what his life was devoted to, and who Stephen wanted to be, what he wanted his life to look like. Which brings the question for us, if we're invited to be servants, if we're invited to be Christ followers, who do we want to be? And I want to just pose to us a few what I think would be helpful questions. Who do you want to be? All things considered. As a Christ follower or not, who do you want to be? The first question is simply this. What's your story? It's important to pay attention to our story because the story is really, our story is really what our life is. What is the story of your life? In other words, what are you giving your life for? See, we give our life, we invest our life or give our life every day 
uh, every moment we give our life and invest our life. And we're investing it and giving it for something. We're serving the story that we desire to be created in our life. Um, I think a question around that issue of what's your story is kind of what's the end that you're after. Not, not necessarily what you want it to look like at the end of your life, although that's certainly included in it. But what, what is the goal of your life? What's the story that you're trying to create here? And what are you willing to give your life for? Because that's what we do. We're giving our life for something. That is our story at the at, at what, the way we invest our time, our talents, our energies, the resources we have, when you begin to pay attention to that, it's moving in a direction. We see it clearly in culture, and this is more subtle with some of us than others, but it's the truth about all of us. We're all creating a story. We're all trying to move in a direction. Like culturally, for instance, we can p- point out certain people, usually celebrities or athletes or something, and you say, well, that's what their life is about. Like a lot of you, maybe all of you remember Lance Armstrong, the great cyclist who in the uh, 1990s and the early 2000s was just dominant, dominant in the sport of cycling. Um, he was a champion, the greatest champion ever in cycling, essentially. And then he was caught cheating. And then he, they, they kind of backed away from maybe he wasn't cheating. Then he got cancer. And then he survived cancer. Then was he lying about the cancer? And then ultimately they found out he went back and won another championship and then found out that he was cheating after all. This is a statement that Lance Armstrong said because his life kind of portrays a story that he clearly knew and didn't deny. This is what he said at one point. He says, I like to win, but more than anything, I can't stand the idea of losing. To me, losing equals death. Anytime you begin to start using death and life in the statements you make or the thinking that you're using, that's lordship language. He clearly said that he was giving his life to winning and to not losing. He would do anything for that, essentially. Jimmy Fallon, at one point, was interviewed by Rolling Stone, the comedian Jimmy Fallon, and he said this. He said, I remember at one point saying to myself, if I don't make it on Saturday Night Live before I'm 25, I'm going to kill myself. It was crazy. I had no other plan. I didn't have friends. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have anything going on. I had my career, and that was it. And that's the story of us. Maybe not so extreme, maybe not so clearly uh, pointed out, but the truth is, is we all have a story. We all have a vision. We have a hope. We have a focus, a pursuit of our life. Early after uh, Claire and I gave our lives to Christ, we used to say this to one another, and we've said this on occasion through the years. We've said to each other, essentially, around this question, if it's not worth dying for, we don't believe it's worth living for. And that's the story of Stephen. Stephen communicates this clearly. The story of Stephen's life was, there is something worth giving everything I have for, giving my whole life for, and if I have to die for it, I'll die for it. Now, the truth about us is most of us, probably none of us, will give our life for our faith in this way. Unless we go off to foreign fields, it's highly unlikely. 
So I think the question for us, because that question sometimes is harder for us to wrap our arms around, will I ever die for my faith? Maybe some of us have to think about that at times. But I think for us, the question more is, how am I living? Am I willing to live for Jesus? Does my story communicate that I'm living for Jesus? Not am I willing to die, but am I willing to live? See, for us to ask the question if we're willing to die for Jesus is kind of an easier question because it's probably not going to happen. But are we willing to live for Jesus? Some of the questions under that, that I think are just good to give attention to, to pay attention if I'm really living for the thing I want to live for, if I want my story to go the way that I really want it to be going, I can pay attention to my life. For instance, when I'm having conversations, what do I seem to want people to know about me? This is where my story's going. When I'm alone, where does my mind go effortlessly? This is where my story's going. What is it that you daydream about? What makes you feel most of your self-worth? Of what are you most proud? And for what do you want to be most known? Which leads into our second question, what is your preoccupation? What is that thing that is always on your mind? You know the prophet Willie Nelson? She was always on my mind. You were always on my mind. So much prophetic stuff with Willie Nelson. It's just awesome. Preoccupation is the state or the condition of being preoccupied or engrossed with something or someone. What is your preoccupation? Stephen's preoccupation was Jesus. He was preoccupied with the kingdom of God. Preoccupied. He was engrossed in it. Preoccupation is a concentration, an engrossment, an absorption, a musing, a thinking, a brooding, a fixation. Remember when I was growing up, I had, I had, a, I had a preoccupation with sports and hopefully one day to play professionally. Sean and I were in the same bedroom growing up. We had, our, our walls were corkboard. This was back... A long time ago, the walls were corkboard so that we could pin articles of different sports because there were newspapers. Those of you that don't know what newspapers are, they were these things that you would read, anyway, pictures and stuff. And we would, we would tack pictures of like our favorite athletes on the wall and we would lay in bed and just think about how can we be professionals. I would, um, I would go out in the yard by myself and play imaginary games, win every time in the last second. It didn't matter what the sport was. It was my preoccupation growing up. And then I met this girl, Claire. And then that changed my preoccupation to something quite different. Somebody asked me, one of my friends asked me, after I met Claire and we started getting serious, they said, where are you going to go to college, Scott? And I said, wherever Claire's going to college. <laughs> That's a preoccupation. When you're preoccupied with something, you're willing to sacrifice for that. You're willing to serve that. You're willing to put energy into it, go out of your way for it, be disciplined for it. 
You're willing to focus your energy toward it and give whatever you have to give. Invest. Give of your time. Invest of your time. Give of your talent. Invest of your talent without thought or limitations. That's why so easily Stephen is one of the seven because Stephen is fixated. He is preoccupied with Jesus. He has come to serve, not to be served. See, Stephen reminds me and the religious leaders in this story who ultimately are the ones that will send him to his death essentially because of their reaction and his conversation with them. But Stephen reminds me of an old story, kind of a joke, maybe you've heard it before, about a Sunday school teacher. And she gets up and uh, she's got a bunch of kindergarten age or so in her class and she shows them a picture of a squirrel. And she says, what is this picture of? And one of the little kids excitedly raises his hand and he says, well, it looks like a squirrel, but I know it must be Jesus because the answer is always Jesus in children's church. (laughs) Stephen says the answer is always Jesus. The world revolves around Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Everything is about moving toward Jesus, whereas the religious leaders, they begin to get their, their garments in a bunch because Stephen starts to tell them some things they don't want to hear about Moses and about the temple, the holy place, the law, and God. It's different than you've seen it. And he launches into one of the most profound conversations, one of the most clear communications of the gospel in the whole of the Bible. He basically tells them, you are doing the same thing your forefathers did. See, because in the Old Testament and up until this point and then through this time and even still to this day, there were those things that were protected. And they thought it was a good thing they were protecting these four pillars, Moses, God, the temple, and the law. You couldn't mess with the customs or the holy place. We don't have time to read all of Acts 7, but read through it and just pay attention. He one by one goes through each one of those things and says, this is how you're missing it. And they freak out. He clearly communicates that the preoccupation needs to shift from these four pillars because their idea of God is improper into a vision, and this is one of the powerful communications of the Trinity, I believe. He clears up the Godhead, and they begin to have huge problems with him. See, it's interesting. There's, there's what was thought of as like civilized stoning. It's kind of an oxymoron, right? And then there were the stonings that seemed to happen a lot more with the apostles or the attempts that were made on Jesus. They are like mob stonings. Like there were stonings as a part of the, a, a part of the law. And it was kind of ritualistic and still barbaric, but it was part of the law. It was like, you know. But then there were the stonings where they just like dragged somebody out. This was one of those moments. Which leads to our third question. Is Jesus the center of your story? 
Because if it's all about story, if it's all about where our life is headed, it's woefully inadequate if Jesus isn't the center of it. We pick up the story in Acts 7.51 and at the end of the conversation. Now, what I love about Stephen is Stephen is so, he doesn't back down at all from what is true and right. He says some really hard things to say. You don't get stoned if you don't say hard things, right? But he says it. I think that part of the reason why through the scripture you see like the end of that portion we already read, that his face was like the face of an angel, is because I think the people were overwhelmed with the graciousness that he communicated the truth in. Peaceful. Powerful. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and your ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, speaking of Jesus. And now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that receive the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they became enraged. They ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Where's Jesus mainly when you refer, when the scripture refers to that? It says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, right? But in this portion of scripture, it says that he sees Jesus standing. And I think there's a pow- there's so many powerful communications in that portion of scripture. But the one thing I want us to pay attention to is know this, even in your worst moment of persecution, hardness, difficulty in standing for your faith, know this, know that Jesus stands and pays attention and is with you. Even in what looks like the bleakest moments of your life, Jesus stands and stands with you, open-armed, waiting to have communion with you. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears with a loud shout and they all rushed together against him. And then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. The witnesses laid their clothes had their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. If you're not familiar, Saul would later become Paul. His name would change to Paul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where have you heard, who have you heard say that before? Jesus. And when he had said this, he died. Verse 1 of chapter 8 says, And Saul approved of their killing him. I can't help but think, Claire and I talked about it this week, is possibly, could it have possibly been one of the most remarkable moments of Saul's life to watch Stephen be stoned to death and with his last breaths, Pray for forgiveness 
for people like Saul who stood over the killing? Could that have been the prayer of a servant that unleashed the miraculous in Paul's life? So is Jesus the center of your story? For some of us, here's the bus stop. The bus stop is simply this. You would say, Jesus is not the center of my story. So this is where you make that decision, whether or not Jesus will become the center of your story. Will you invite the adequacy of Christ to fill your inadequacy? Will you accept Jesus as Stephen communicates here to be the one that can be the center of your life and make your story make sense? And then for some of us, we've already made that decision. So for some of us, the trial of Stephen creates a different conversation for us. See, because the trial of Stephen is really a retrial of Jesus, and there's a retrial of Jesus going on every day. That's what's really going on here. And that's what really goes on around the world every day. It goes on in the life of believers, the retrial of Christ. So the question, Stephen was found clearly guilty of being Like Jesus. How about you, Christ follower? Would Jesus be found guilty from the obedience in your life and the evidence of your life? For some Christ followers, the truth is the evidence is vague. It's judgmental. It's hypocritical. It's pretending that we're something that we're not. It's unforgiving. It's unloving. It's bitter. It's gossipy. It lacks compassion. Don't worry. No stoning for that group. But those that will be found guilty will be the ones that love like Jesus, that are merciful, that are long-suffering, peaceful, generous, patient, gracious, wise, encouraging, caring, joyous, friendly. I love what one person says. He said, people will never believe you love them if they don't feel you like them. Will you be found a servant? That's a Christ-centered life. It's tough stuff to read these scriptures about these heroes of faith. But then to remember, these are just normal people just in pursuit that God empowers to do heroic things. So is Christ the center of your story? I want to leave all of us with the question to sit with this week. What will you offer God as service for the salvation of of others. For Stephen, he offers his life. And for each one of us, we make an offering with our life 
every day. So for you and for me, I think the question, Christ followers, is this, is what will you and I offer to God as service for the salvation of others? So Father, even now, I pray that you would help us around this question. Help us, God, to know the importance of what our life looks like, the way we carry ourselves. We certainly are not perfect people, but help us to know how we can serve in a greater way your kingdom, how we can love people around us more clearly. in the beautiful name of Jesus. God, and ways to serve you. Open our eyes, we pray. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, um, before you go, we want you to know in July and August, the last Sunday of both of those months, we're going to do an all-together service so that both um, first and second service will be together for one service. And that time is going to be 1032. And we'll tell you why. We'll tell you why. There's a scripture that goes with it. 1032. Can you all say 1032? Okay, last Sunday of July, last Sunday of August, 1032. All the church together, both services. Okay, so people you've been missing, you're going to get to see them. So let's say it one more time. 1032. 1032. Not 930 and 1115. 1032. All right? All right. God bless you guys. That'll be the last Sunday of July and August. All right. Bless you all. Have a great week.